hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming again live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. As not always on Tuesday, we had it early today because of my schedule, so we bumped it up to Tuesday. Today's episode you don't want to miss. We have Ethne Nance on again, and I think she might hold the record on being on the most. I don't know. She's been on a lot because she's a wonderful wealth of knowledge, and she's an expert on um, the subject she'll be talking about, medical billing, and um, a lot of other things inside the healthcare industry. Today, she is going to be talking about how hospitals are profiting off COVID. Surprise, right? Are you surprised about that? I always wonder when I walk into a hospital, it's like, okay, here they are. They're checking our temperatures. They're making us wear masks. They have these big plexiglass things. They've hired people to do all this. You don't think the hospital is doing that for free, do you? I'm going to find out some information for myself. I have a lot of questions for Ethne, and I hope you do too. And if you do, please send us your comments. And we are streaming live on my personal Facebook page and the Moseley Professional Pharmacies YouTube site. So please comment there. Or you can call in 509-537-0411 and you can ask a question. So, Ethne, with that, uh, tell us, how are our hospitals profiting off COVID? <laughs> um, well, a few ways. The one that we had discussed together is the fact that a lot of hospitals are using a new model called Hospital at Home. And those of you that don't understand what that is, is hospitals go through a process of receiving a waiver from Medicare, et cetera, that allows them to send patients that should be admitted to the hospital but are stable enough to go home to go home. They can go home with oxygen. They'll have a nurse visit them. There, there's certain things that have to happen within 24 hours for the hospital to qualify for this. The interesting thing is, is even though you're at home in your own bed, the hospital gets to bill insurance and get paid as if you were in the hospital. So they, on average, save 30 to 33% um, because they don't have the cost of brick and mortar for you being a patient. Now, how does this relate to COVID? Is this, is this just a recent phenomenon that happened? It is not a recent phenomenon. However, they have really opened up for hospitals to do this that may not have been able to in the past. And the other issue is that a lot of um, state governments and governors put mandates on the patient populations of the hospital saying if patients, you know, if, if patient saturation gets to let's say 80%, then you cannot do elective surgeries. And what everyone needs to know is when you get sick and have to go to the emergency room or you have pneumonia and you have to stay in the hospital, hospitals aren't actually making their money per se with you being in a bed. They're making their money with elective surgeries, meaning you're, you go to the doctor and they say, you need to have spine surgery. And you say, yes, I'd like to do that. That's an elective surgery. It's not an emergency. And with COVID, uh, most states shut down hospitals' ability to do elective surgeries. And it devastated surgery centers, hospitals, and doctors. It devastated their revenue because most of what they make is from these surgeries. So hospitals decided, 
how do we take care of COVID patients that need to be treated, but won't count towards our census to shut us down for surgery? And this um. hospital at home allows them to treat and have COVID patients admitted, but at home and continue to do elective surgery. And do they get reimbursed by these insurance companies, including Medicare, the same rate as they would in the hospital? That's a good question. Yes. You actually, when you bill the insurance, you bill it the exact same way that you would if the patient was in the hospital, meaning same dollar amount, same numbers and codes, um, and they get paid exactly the same. And they're not using the hospital bed. They're not using the hospital sheets. They're not using the hospital's toothbrush. They're not using nope. any of that stuff whatsoever. So, and that's where you I said, said the, the 30%. Right. The 30% comes in. Yeah. Right. So the hospital is literally saving 33% is what you said. Yet yep. um, they're getting paid the same. So again, yeah. the hospitals are ripping off the system as they are so good at doing. <laughs> yeah. You, they're They're not that I know of. Now, mind you, there may be hospitals out there that do, but they're not required and most do not offer a discount if you opt to stay home versus being admitted into the hospital. There's no discounts or, uh, for example, they don't give you a 30% discount because you decide to stay home. Well, there, It's yeah. the same cost, same bill. Right, right. Um, hospitals aren't really good about discounting anything. They don't even know no. about pricing usually. They don't even know transparency and pricing. So how could they even give a no. discount? They don't even know what the price is in the first place. Ex yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, how is this that you know of? Is this going on in, you know, multiple locations, multiple states? It's not just an isolated incident, correct? Oh, this is happening all over the United States, everywhere from New York to California. Any hospital that meets the hospital at home criteria can receive the waiver to do this. Now, not everybody will qualify for this. There are certain things you have to have in place for patient safety and, and making sure that the outcomes are good. But anywhere in the United States, you can, you can qualify for this. And, um, you know, perfect example is I had a family member that had COVID that at one point was a hospital at home patient. Okay. And so, you know, Ethne, I should have had you introduce yourself and tell us how you know these things. So tell us how you know all these things and why you're qualified <laughs> to educate us on the subject. Because obviously, <laughs> obviously you know a lot about it and I know that, and you've been on our show many times before, but go ahead for the, those of us that are, that are listening or watching, they want to know a little bit about you. So tell us why you're qualified to educate us on these subjects. Sure. So my name, of course, is Ethne Nance, and I own a medical billing and consulting company called Pacific Medical Revenue. And we have clients across the United States from New York to California, and they include everyone from surgery centers to we actually have a few corporations that we also consult for to educate and answer questions. I have been doing this since 1998. <laughs> and at one point, I was actually a professor teaching this at a college level. So this is all I've ever known. I, I joke with people. I said, this is a it's a very confusing industry. Um, it doesn't make a sense to a lot of people, but for some reason it does to me. 
I don't know what that says about me, but (laughs) (laughs) I've just been in this industry for a very, very long time. Cool. All right. All right. So um, let's talk a little bit more about how hospitals might be profiting off of COVID. So I have a story. I had a patient come in and talk to me about um, she wanted to do, she was traveling um, and she had traveled in an airplane and she was wanting to set up a, an appointment, telehealth, to um, go over some, some medical stuff. And the first thing that they, they said to her was, well, you got to get a COVID test first because you were traveling. And she said, but I'm going to be doing it telehealth. Well, that's our policy. Um, we just want you to have a COVID test before you can see anybody. But I'm doing it telehealth. So that just kind of sounds like me that a lot of these big clinics, corporate clinics and hospitals are profiting off COVID tests and possibly testing people that don't need to be tested. Can you comment on that at all, Ethne? Um, somewhat. So they have put in place a kind of a set reimbursement for these PCR tests is commonly what people are getting. And the reimbursement is it's about $100 a test. So if you test 100 patients in a week and you're getting reimbursed with little to no effort, $100 a test to include that they they set up programs for uninsured patients that you still get receive about $100 a test and reimbursement, um, you can end up making a decent amount of money if you do it right. It, Additionally, they also created some new CPT billing codes that are paying for the PPE that providers are using or the supplies. Now, that one that one isn't really reimbursing that wonderfully, and I wouldn't say people are necessarily profiting on it, but the tests, I, I, I've seen I've seen places where they, they're getting $100 a test regardless if they have insurance or not. That's a lot of money considering considering the average patient visit with a doctor via telehealth or in the office, you're looking at maybe $65 for 20 to 30 minutes with the patient or you swab their nose and it's $100. So basically they almost doubled, doubled their revenue just by throwing on a yes. COVID test, whether they need it or not. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily have conversations with these people about do, you know, does everyone need one? But reimbursement, it, they've made it really easy to bill and get paid for these. Yeah. And so do you have any idea? I know this is maybe out of your realm, although you are an expert. Um do you have any idea when this will go away? I mean, when are they going to stop paying for COVID tests? I mean, are we going to be doing this five years from now? You know, I, I actually get that question a lot because right now there's a lot of things that they are allowing or they've changed or whatever um, because of COVID. And until the official public health emergency goes away, I don't think that this is going to stop getting reimbursed the way it is. Um, Or unless there's a drastic change with government funding to pay for these or the uninsured, et cetera. 
I, I don't see this going away for a while. And right. when I say I mean, a while, it might be a year, year or right. two. Yeah, follow follow the money. I mean, for sure. And you got to wonder. I mean, and I, I I'm going to ask your opinion on this. I mean, I, I'm going to say my opinion. You know, if hospitals are making money like this on this, on COVID nineteen. Remember, COVID nineteen means 2019. We are two years away from 2019, and we are still doing dealing with this. And you say that we'll probably be dealing with it for another year when it comes to medical billing. If hospitals are making so much money off this, do you think they really want it to go away? Honestly, I don't. I mean, if it is a major source of income for them, then why do they want it to go away? It's it's hard. It, it there is a part that it it seems like it would be hard to see them wanting things to go back to the way that it was because there are things that have opened up opportunities um, for revenue that they didn't have before because of COVID. Can you give us some more examples of that? Um, another good example would be just the telehealth, for example. And this is for hospitals or in doctor's offices, et cetera. They, they really did allow for some streamlining um, in regards to the type of software program or phone that you're using to communicate with the patients, what qualifies for what level of telehealth. They came through during COVID last year and just said, listen, however you talk to the patient, if you document it, you can bill and, and get paid as if the patient was in the office, even though they're not. It used to be that it it was harder to do telehealth, to qualify, to get reimbursed and, and make it a um, profitable or at least pay for the cost of the systems was hard. And then with COVID, um, it's so much easier to do telehealth with your provider. And you may, you know, everyone may notice now, everyone's offering telehealth. And, and a lot of times they're pushing you towards telehealth. And some of it, yes, is because of COVID safety. The other thing is, is it is much easier to see the patients via telehealth than have them come into the office or come into the hospital and the costs of having them in, you know, paying for the nurses and the medical assistants, et cetera. You don't have that. In fact, I have clients that because they changed the restrictions and I really don't see them going back. I really don't. I could be wrong, but I don't see them changing and tightening the restrictions back. Um, providers have actually changed their models and they offer fewer in-office appointments and they've opened up their telemed schedules because they just can see more patients more efficiently and get paid the same. Well, I think what's interesting about it is, you know, I'm, I'm all for future technology and, you know, telehealth is really not future technology. Um, there's certain doctors and providers that have been doing that for years. When you look at, for instance, um, um, nephrologists, you know, people, doctors that specialize in kidney function and, and work with dialysis centers, you know, there's usually one doctor in a bigger town and there's dial, dialysis centers you know, spread out all over the state or whatever, and he will actually see those patients via telehealth. Now, I'm not sure. I'll ask you that. I'm not sure. I'm assuming they are getting reimbursed by Medicare. Do you know anything about that? I I, I wasn't preparing you for this question at all. Uh, dialysis is a little bit different. When you become an end-stage renal 
disease dialysis patient, you actually become a version of a capitated payment. So capitation means that a, a list of services that are provided by the nephrologist or staff, et cetera, is included in one lump sum payment every month for treating this patient, overseeing their care, et cetera. So it's a little bit different with a nephrologist because of the fact that it's capitated, they have to see the patients, but they're not necessarily getting paid extra. Right. Um, you know, that could be a whole discussion of, and unfortunately, nephrologists get a really rough deal because they deal with some of the most complicated patients and they really don't get reimbursed that well for the amount of care they have to provide. I've, I've, I've heard the same. Yeah, for yep. sure. It's, it's and, a common, common thing. Right. So first of all, is there anything you don't know about medical billing? I wasn't, you weren't prepared for that question. <laughs> yes, there, there are things I do have to Google. Um, <laughs> I, I think my brain is so full of this stuff. I, you, if you ask my family, I never remember anyone's birthdays. I never remember dates and times. And it's just, I think my head's full, but. <laughs> yeah. So another, another example of where, so uh, nephrology and dialysis was an example of where telehealth, mm -hmm. you know, has been going on for at least 10 or 15 years that I know of. Yes. Um, and, you know, direct primary care doctors who have direct primary care practices where they have a monthly membership fee. We've talked about it a lot of times on this show. Um, they've been doing telehealth for years. Now, of course, their payment model is not um, limited to, they don't bill any insurance. So they don't have to right. tell any, the insurance company doesn't have to tell them what can and can't be reimbursed. So right. basically here again, we have, it's not really, the patients driving this, it's not really the free market driving telehealth. It's basically the insurance company finally told the doctors that they can get paid this way. So again, who's driving this? Not consumers, not patients, not doctors. The insurance company is driving telehealth. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's why it took so long for traditional medical care to be done via telehealth, even though like in direct primary care practices, they've been doing it for years because insurance companies are what's driving our healthcare system. We've talked about that before on our show. Ethne, do you have any comments about that? No, it, you're completely right. Insurance companies, CMS, Medicare, uh, they really did make it rather complicated to do telehealth and almost cost prohibitive. And I, I see a lot of providers wanting to go this direction, one, because they have eased the restrictions, but two, providers get paid general practitioners, not hospitals or, or, or surgery centers, but practitioners in general do not get paid that much when they come in to see you or when you come in to see them, excuse me. And they have to find ways to streamline things just to keep the lights on in their practice sometimes. Uh, very few providers that I've ever worked with are actually swimming in piles of cash like Scrooge McDuck, right? <laughs> most of the time it's, it's tight and it's a struggle. And when, when insurance companies allowed this, providers jumped on it because again, they can see more patients efficiently with less cost because they don't have to come into the office. 
For sure. And, you know, that's just another, you know, when you talk about that, basically what you're t- saying, so you're talking mostly about primary care doctors or specialists for that matter. Mm-hmm. They don't really get paid that much to see a patient. So they're yeah. in office consultation. They don't make any money yet. That's why they do surgery and that's why they have radiology in their clinics. That's why they have MRIs. That's why they have all these other ancillary services. Cause that's kind of where they make money. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Uh, a family practice doctor for a 20 minute visit gets paid the exact same as a cardiothoracic surgeon seeing a patient for 20 minutes. They get paid the same amount. If they're in the same area, they're, it's the same, no matter what your specialty is. Um, in regards to Medicare, of course, commercial can be a little bit different, but the cardiothoracic surgeon ends up making more money because when they go and do these surgeries, you know, you're talking a lot of money is reimbursed for these surgeries for their time expertise versus a family practice doctor doesn't necessarily get to go do open heart surgery on Wednesday. (laughs) So that's where you start to see the disparity, but just seeing a patient in the office, they get paid the same. Well, and that's a lot of times why these big corporate clinics have their primary care referral sources that are really kind of loss leaders. Um, But what they do is they refer to their surgeon. So that's kind of how they make money. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It's kind of you pull it all together and share the wealth per se. Yep. So can you think of some other ways how hospitals are profiting off COVID? There is more of a push for remote patient monitoring and the reimbursement for what's called RPM, remote patient monitoring. Um, A lot of hospitals and practices and things are starting to use this more and not everything they always do isn't, I mean, it does benefit the patient, but there are you know, there are costs involved. There can be co-insurance applied to the patient for monitoring their vital signs throughout the month. And you're talking, if you do remote patient monitoring, um, it's there. You can get reimbursed about $120 per patient per month, which comes out to $1,200 per patient per year to monitor their vital signs electronically and then have a 20 minute conversation with that patient once a month. Your blood pressure's high, stay away from the salt. And they're making an additional $1,200 per patient. Interesting. So you do see that that, I guess it would be a CPT code. You do see that that is getting billed more now since COVID? It is a whole industry that has exploded. All you have to do is Google RPM company and you will have your Google search uh, filled with companies that offer RPM services that allow providers to track the vital signs that then they can bill for these services. It's actually four codes, by the way. Um, uh, But yeah, it, it's just, it's a big industry. There's a lot of people investing money into these software programs and devices and offering the service to providers. So providers get to bill for this, but the software companies get paid to offer the service is how that model works. Right, um, right. But $1,200 per patient additional revenue 
can add up in a practice oh, where the yeah. margins are tight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All those little add-on things can. So mm -hmm. but you've yeah. definitely seen those go up during COVID. Yes, definitely. There's been, there's been an immense push and it's coupled with telehealth, believe it or not, because if you can't have the patient come into the office to, you know, and you're monitoring the patient for high blood pressure, for example, um, how are you going to have a visit to make sure that the blood pressure medicine's working? If you're right. doing RPM on the patient, you can then do your telehealth, get paid the same, also get paid an additional, let's say, $120 and manage the patient without them ever walking in your office. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So you may or may not know the answer to this question, but I kind of started the show off with with it a little a little example of how I see when I walk into a hospital. Um, you know, you have some person dedicated to making sure you don't have COVID, so they ask you some crazy, silly, fast questions, and then check your temperature as if mm -hmm. that's a telltale sign you don't have COVID, and then um, you know they they've staffed it with an employee. I mean, so, and, you know, we all know that hospitals are not all about charity. In fact, they're not hardly anything about charity. They're usually about ripping people off. And I'm just really more vocal about this now. I don't care if it's private, public, for-profit, non-profit. I think they pretty much all fall in the same category. It's nothing personal. I'm just generalizing when it comes to hospitals because they truly are, they've created a cartel with insurance companies and overbilled people, uh, overpriced uh, and I think they're ripping people off. So I don't really think they're going to really want to be giving away, you know, um, free stuff. So how are they affording to staff these places? And mm -hmm. if they're not getting paid now, are they going to get some kind of bailout where they do get paid? Mm, uh, this is not necessarily a question I know a ton about, mm -hmm. but I do know that there is, there is funding either by the state or at the government level that is allowing for uh, the purchase or providing uh, the masks, the gloves, the PPE, because believe it or not, those things are very expensive and do add up and they may not necessarily pay for the staff time, but they may be getting some kind of state funding or government funding to pay for all of this PPE because it, it does add up. It is expensive. Yeah. Um, billing wise, there's not really a medical, you, you can bill for it on a patient level. Uh, for example, if you go see your doctor and they have on PPE, they do a test. There is a CPT code you can build for the family doctor to re get reimbursed for the PPE, but that's, patient by patient and you're not that's not happening when you go into the hospital um but i no i don't think they're giving these things away for free either no, <laughs> i think and, they're getting it reimbursed somehow right and and that's one thing about hospitals and and you of course know the individual patient billing aspect with a cpt mm -hmm. code that's related to something but what a lot of people don't understand is that um hospitals have so many different revenue streams from state, federal, local governments that people are just, you know, are very surprised about. So when hospitals complain that they don't get reimbursed enough for something, a certain CPT code that you might know about, and they don't get reimbursed enough, I don't necessarily feel sorry for them 
because there's always some kind of taxpayer money that bails those hospitals out on the back end some way, somehow. There's some kind of program that they get for every patient that walks in the door or something, especially if they're in a rural area when it comes to rural health care. I live in a rural area, and believe me, the, the, the rural access rules and things for, to, to protect hospitals, it is literally a racket. I mean, facility fees, you know. Yeah. Um, Facility fees is used, uh, literally a racket. I mean, just to walk into a hospital, some hospitals get paid three hundred dollars for facility fee before they even see a patient. Can you comment on that one? Uh, depending on where the patient is in the hospital, be it the emergency room, the outpatient surgery, or inpatient. Yes, they, uh, for example, in the emergency room and outpatient surgery, the facility fees, let's say the surgeon bills for a surgery and it was $3,000. The facility will also then bill the insurance a similar fee for just the bandage, the use of the room, et cetera. And then anesthesia will couple that and come in and bill for their time. So the facility fees are usually mirroring the surgeons and it's usually a high amount. I mean, $3,000 for 20 minutes and a couple band-aids is a lot of money, even when yeah. you have an RN and everyone in there because the anesthesiologist is not being paid by the hospital. They go and they bill their own in, you know, their own charges to the insurance. Um, the radiologist that may look at the, the scans during the surgery will also bill for his time. So the hospitals aren't reimbursing for all of these doctors. The doctors go and do their own billing. Right. It's so they, they, this facility fee, they get paid a lot for just saying we had the surgery here. That's, that's correct. That's correct. So can you think of anything else that has really changed uh, the way uh, hospitals have billed things during COVID? Um, the only thing was just the, the sheer and utter panic everyone had because they couldn't do the elective surgeries. And then just they, they are stacking all of these surgeries to get people in and get these things done. And a lot of it is just to bump up the revenue. Um, it to me, it also be, showed how much hospitals really rely on you deciding to go and have a surgery in that hospital because they were, you know, they were furloughing staff, they were laying people off, uh, cutting hours because there just there wasn't the money because the surgeries weren't going on. Um, that's about all I can think of right now, but give me a couple minutes and I might have yeah. something else. Well, I want to, I want to kind of comment on that. I, I comment on it, a, you know, a year ago or so when, you know, elective surgeries were, 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 um, shut down and basically, you know, the hospitals were just ghost towns. What I find interesting about that is we talk about so much how government, how healthcare should be a right and that government should pay for it, um, which I find that really interesting. When all of a sudden, you know, we, you know, the government makes a rule that says elective surgeries have to be shut down, and hospitals basically have no more business. Which kind of tells you, you know, what is what is the percentage of elective of elective procedures that people elect to go to? You know, 85 percent of it is elective. I don't know. But I would, I would guess it's probably closer to ninety. 
95. I mean, almost every surgery. I mean, think about it. Think about all the people you talk to that said, oh, I got, have to go have a surgery. You know, my, my father-in-law just went and had a knee replacement. Shockingly, a knee replacement, same day surgery, which I had no idea that they even could replace a knee and send you home the same day. But when you talk to people, most of the time they've decided to go have the surgery, right? Or maybe there is something wrong and they have to go get it. That's still considered elective. I mean, it's probably 90, 95% are elective. Right, right. That's exactly right. Well, I write about it in my book. One of the things is, is, and even though it, I get it, we're talking about a little, we need to define this a little bit about, you know, maybe somebody does truly need a knee replacement. It's still elective, even if they, yeah. if they can pick it you know, a month from now or a year from now. Um, one thing I'm getting getting to though is, you know, how many how many surgeries possibly are unnecessary and just the overutilization of our healthcare system because someone else is paying the bill. And right. I you see that quite often with many different procedures, whether it be lab tests, whether it be radiology. Um, you know, I personally had an experience where a doctor tried to talk me into getting an MRI and I'm like, you know, because my knee was hurting. I'm like, I'm not going to get surgery. So why should I do an MRI? Right. Well, it's it's obvious why the gym in our MRI, somebody's making money out of it. And I'm okay with people making money, but consumers need to be educated to realize that they are in charge of their own health. They should be. So they can say no to this stuff too. When, some, when somebody recommends it, like the person I was telling you about, about they wanted a telehealth appointment and they wanted to do a COVID test. Mm -hmm. She called the administrator of the clinic and said, I am not getting a COVID test to do a telehealth. Yeah. And of course, they started backpedaling and saying, well, that's what they're trained to say. Of course they are because most people say yes to it. Yeah. Well, people need to remember you're a consumer. You don't just yep. go to one grocery store and pick nice. out one one thing of bread and that's all you get. That's that's not how things are. Now, there there are flaws and, and issues with our healthcare system, but... For the most part, you do have choices. You have the ability to decide, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. Per a personal example is my youngest son has, has a, a, an issue that during the course of, of trying to figure out what he needed treatment-wise, the, the pediatrician we went to said, well, even though he's been diagnosed with X, and you want to do this, I'm, you have to go see this specialist. And unfortunately, in the field the specialist was in, none, none of them took insurance, and you're talking for an hour's worth of time for this one exam was going to be close to $2,000. And this pediatrician was not going to continue treatment for my son until we paid $2,000 out of pocket. Well, as a consumer, I said, that's ridiculous. And I found a new doctor that is a better fit that uh, under the circumstances said, yes, he can be treated. Ex you know, you don't need to pay $2,000. And people just need to just remember, yes, doctors are, they've gone to school. They're very smart. They do know what they're doing, but you still have the choice to go now, wait a minute, let me, let me think about this or let me go Google or make a couple phone calls. You just don't go and buy a car. You look around, you research, you price match, et cetera. Do the same with your healthcare. 
Exactly. I so appreciate you educating us on that because we talk about that all the time on the show. I wrote a book about it. It's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And in chapter six, I talk about a six-step solution on how to fix the healthcare system. And the first one starts with the consumer. Well, most all of them are all with the consumer. One of them is with the doctors. But And the consumer needs to be proactive in their own health to, to be, to, for the get-go. And number two is they need to shop around for prices and quality and service. And no different than any other industry. So if you don't like the price of your doctor, like you didn't like the price of that $2,000 um, doctor, then find a new doctor. Find a new primary care doctor that fits better. Find find one that has better, more value. And it is that no different than any other service. Healthcare is no different. Don't let anybody tell you any different. So thank you for educating us on that, Ethne. Sure. I really, really appreciate that. So um, what would you like to end our show with uh, as we're wrapping up here? Oh, goodness. Um, that's that's an open-ended question. I could talk I do for have hours. One more question for you. I do have <laughs> okay. one more question for you. All right. So is there a CPT code for when a patient tests positive for COVID-19 in a hospital? A CPT code or a ICD-10 code? Yeah, yeah. You correct a me diagnosis there. code. Do you exactly. want a diagnosis? There you go. Yes, there are different diagnoses based on if you had a COVID exposure, if you are positive for COVID, or if you have COVID and you have some other type of issue. For example, you have pneumonia. Um, there, there's actually a couple different ICD-10 codes that can be used. So again, this whole COVID-19 has its own separate codes, and this yep. has all happened, transpired over the over the last year and four or five months. Yes. In fact, this time last year, they were rolling out a lot of the official diagnosis codes, um, what they then designate, what they differentiate, you know, um, depending on if you were exposed and things. And they were all brand new. There was there was a lot of conversation amongst billers, you know, how and when do you use these and what does it mean when you use them, et cetera. And so do you know what the reimbursement is for somebody in a hospital that tests positive for COVID-19? Just the no other complications, no other underlying issues. As an inpatient? Yes. Oh, gosh. So I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and, and just just I don't do hospital billing, which is called facility billing. We okay. do everything around it except for that. Um, I believe that the average hospital stay is, I think I'm probably underestimating. It's probably $1,500 to $2,000 per day because hospitals, uh, uh, hosp facilities get reimbursed based on what kind of sick you are, if you have a surgery as an inpatient and where you are in the hospital. So just a regular patient needing oxygen, I think it's about 1500 to 2000 a day, maybe. But they, <laughs> but they would get extra if they do test positive for COVID. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes, they are getting additional funding to cover the PPE and all of that. Yeah. Perfect. And I know hospital, thank you for clearing that up, that hospital 
inside the hospital facility is not your expertise in billing, but you still do know a lot about it. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you clearing that up and educating us. As always, our goal at Health Solutions is to educate and empower consumers to be in charge of their own health. And Ethne has done a great job of doing that today, whether it come to whether it comes to financial or whether it comes to service. And I so appreciate it, Ethne. So I'm going to go back to that question again. Um, I guess let me let me rephrase that question. So I think it's pretty obvious you made it pretty clear today with your presentation that, you know, what you have a passion for. But what do you have a passion for, Ethne? Uh, in regards to medical billing, my passion has always been helping providers figure out how to navigate on their own this industry. I want them to be able to go see patients and not have to worry about losing money and can actually make it on their own. It used to be providers had to go to these big groups and these hospitals and be employees because it was too complicated and too expensive to be on their own. And what I really like to do is go out and show them, you can do this on your own. You can figure this out. We're there to answer all the complicated questions and then just go see a patient. So with that being said, how do people get a hold of you? You can reach me at the company website, pacificmedicalrevenue.com. We're also on Facebook if you want to hunt for us there, or you can just Google. And I believe my contact information shows up and we can answer any questions you have. Awesome. I love it. You are great at answering questions. You are definitely an expert in this field. And speaking of that, I think I'm not sure about the exact date, but we're going to have you on in a couple of weeks and we yes. are going to go over like an EOB, which is an explanation of benefits. Most patients see those, um, but they're kind of confusing. So we're going to have you, the expert, go over an EOB and find out what is reasonable to be billed and how you can find out you know, what the price should be and, and all that kind of stuff. And yep. people should be going over those things because that's how we control the cost in healthcare is that consumers have to be in charge of, of, of their own health, including the finances. So, so excited to have you back on in a few weeks. We will, we'll be promoting that one soon. And Ethne, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on. I so appreciate you being on. Um, thank you for listening, tuning in today. Ethne, thanks for being on our show. Thank health you. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. 